I just want to say I'm so excited to be here uh, in one of my favorite towns, in one of my favorite places, among some of my favorite people, at my favorite university ever in the existence of the universities. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm Tar Heel born, Tar Heel bred, and when I die, I'm going to heaven. But <laughs> see where we're going today, right? Uh, so we're going to have some fun today on this invitation to a journey, but man, let me just say thank you. Thank you to, to just allowing me to come and share the Word of God. Thank you to your pastor, to Matt, and to Justin, the whole team here. You guys have been amazing, and I'm honored that you would have me come and share the Word of God today. It's great to have my parents in the house uh, and some other folks even our, on our launch team. We have people from your church that feel the call to church planting so much that they have come along and been a part of our launch team as well for Peak City Church. And so that speaks volumes of your pastor and how committed he is to seeing the kingdom of God grow. Uh, I love being a part of churches where they don't hold things tight-fisted, but rather they just say, we want people to follow God's call. And so today, we're going to kind of continue in the vein of what we've been learning through this series, Invitation to a Journey. And we're going to talk about a story today that's probably true for all of us, and that's what makes the story so special today. So now, today we're going to be talking about the story of Jonah. Um, now, some of you, as soon as I said that, the intellectuals in the room, you just checked out. You're like, oh, man, I just can't bite the hook on that. It's just too big of a fish story for me. You want me to swallow this? I don't think so. It's a whale of a tail. I could do this all day, all right? Like, for whatever reason, you, that story, just something about it, it just, it just doesn't jive with you. But I want to say this. You know, I love, I love you. Uh, and if you don't believe in the miracle that happened in the story of Jonah, it's okay. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. I will say that I do. I, I do believe in the God that can do the miraculous, and I believe that this actually happened as a miracle. But if you can't get past it, I want you to know this. The lesson that Jonah teaches us is too important for you to miss today. So just lean into this as we kind of look at this aspect of the journey that we've all been a part of, because you know and I know that even though we're on a journey trying to move closer and closer to Jesus every day, for many of us, there's a portion of the journey where we go running in the opposite direction, right? And that's what makes this story so special today. Because Jonah's story, it's not just my story. It's not just Jonah's story. It's our story, right? Because we've all been there today. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this idea, and we're going to talk about what it really looks like to run from God. Because we've all been there, right? We've all run in some form or fashion. I want to tell you today, I think that we really run in three different ways. And we're going to throw some stuff on the screen here so you can see this. But I think one of the first ways that we identify that we run from God, kind of like Jonah ran from God, is just overtly. We just overtly run from God. And what that means is you were brought up to know the truth. You believed a certain way, and you just said, you know what? I'm walking away from it. You basically said, I'm taking my belief systems, I'm taking the faith and the things that God has instilled in my heart, uh, the truth that my parents helped to impart to me, and I'm just going to take it, and I'm walking away from it. Maybe you fall into that category. So many Americans were raised in church or somewhat in church, and they just get to a place in their life where they say, you know what, I'm, I'm just not doing it anymore. I know the truth, I know the Ten Commandments, I know these things, but I'm just not going to live that way. I know the Bible says I need to live a certain way, and maybe for a lot of you, you want other people to live that way. Like you may say, I, I want other people to tell the truth. I want other people to treat people fairly. I want them to do unto others as, as you know, you would have them do unto you. I want all those things, but for me right now, putting a pause in it, it's not for me, right? You, you just overtly are saying, I'm running from God. So that could be you. And guess what? That was Jonah. 
That was his life. That's exactly what he did. Now, some of us, our running may look a little different. We may run covertly. Now, covertly running looks a little bit different. You may not even believe that there is a God that loves you, that wants to redeem your life, to forgive you of your sins, to make you and give you a purpose uh, and create and really have you set in a, in a life that's pointing towards his glory and honor and leading other people to that same truth. You may not believe that. You may just have your own moral compass inside your heart. And in some form or fashion in your life, you're violating even that. You're like, you know, you say things to yourself like, I was raised better than this, but, right? You know, I know better, but, uh, you know, and you just kind of make these decisions and you're covertly running from God. There's a tension there. You're running from God, whether you, you live up to biblical standards or not. Some of us, it's a mental thing. Like, we mentally find ourselves running from God. And this is pretty interesting because I see this all the time in, in culture coming up these days. There's a, a growing segment of people that when it comes to their relationship with God or what they believe or, or faith or anything, they basically just say, you know what, I'm just going to, whenever I feel conviction about something I'm doing, I'm just going to turn the music up around me to kind of drown out that conviction, right? And so what you end up doing is, you know, and oftentimes what we do is we decide in order to turn down the volume of our conscience, we just decide not to believe certain things anymore. We just say, you know what, this really doesn't fit into the box that I want to be in right now, so even though I thought that was true, I'm just going to say for no other reason than I don't want to believe it anymore, boom, I don't believe it. You just flip the script right there. Mentally, you run from God, but in the back of your mind, when the music's off, when it's just you laying in your bed staring at the ceiling, when it's just you and God, or if you don't believe in God, when it's just you and you laying there in the bed, you find yourself getting to a boiling point in your life. Because you know there's a reckoning coming. You know one day you're going to hit a wall. You know one day you're going to have to surrender those things to God, and you just can't keep running. So eventually that whole chaos that you've been creating in your life is going to get to the point where you can't continue to manage it anymore. It's going to be too many plates that have been spinning for too long to try to keep those things going before it all comes crashing down. And so you find yourself running. Now, for some of you, you may even have decided when you're going to stop running from God. This is really interesting. I, I was in ministry. I was a student pastor for 12 years. And so I heard this from students all the time. I actually heard this from adults, uh, you know, but it's amazing. They just said, you know, until I get to this point, I'm just going to do my own thing. Like, and a lot of people in the back of their mind, they said, you know what, when I get married, I'm going to settle down. I'm going to kind of go back to my faith, my roots, my Christian values. I'm going to live that way. And, and they haven't said it out loud necessarily, but in their heart, they're saying, when I get married, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my life back over to God. Now, we're in Chapel Hill. It's a college town. Some of you guys are like, you know what? I'm really just running until spring break because I got spring break plans, and I'm just going to run because, you know, God, I mean, spring break is coming, and there's just some stuff that I, I want to do down in, in Florida or in the Keys or whatever. So you may be running in your mind to a certain point, but I want you to understand, no matter what you do, if you run from God, that you can run from God, but you can never outrun God. You can run from God, but you can never outrun God. See, that was good. I got to move on that one. I got to, mm, so. I know you're with me. The best, the best way this illustration was ever made real in my life, uh, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, on the north side of town, and it's just this, a, kind of a poorer, working-class neighborhood. My father referred to us as upper-lower class. I, I remember that. That was great. Um, and so, you know, working class people, diverse, you know, we had people of all ethnicities and cultures, 
Uh, and then on top of that, we had a good sprinkling of rednecks and street thugs as well that were kind of in the neighborhood to spice things up. Uh, and there was this guy named Jimmy, and he had a garage in the back alley of one of the spots in our neighborhood. And that sounds really shady, and that's probably because it was. Uh, but we thought this guy was cool because he fixed up motorcycles. And he always used to tell us kids, you know, these fish stories, kind of like Jonah, about how he'd always be running from the police. And he'd sound like, you know, he was, he was like the MacGyver of running from the police somehow. But he'd always say the same thing at the end of his stories. He'd say, now, boys, and he was a redneck. He talked like this. He said, now, boys, you can run from a cop. But you can't run from that radio. I, remember, I never forgot that. I never forgot that. And then I come back to this place in the scripture, and this just kind of, the light went, boop. That's exactly what happened with Jonah. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. So maybe some of us, we feel like we've stiff-armed God, and you know what Jonah knows, and we've discovered what Jonah has discovered, and that's simply this. You just can't outrun God. You know that already, and Jonah discovered this when he was in the belly of the fish. So here's Jonah's situation. We're going to throw a map up on the screen for you here. Jonah lived in Israel, um, and so you see this city called Joppa. This is a port city in Israel. God speaks to Jonah and says, you need to go to Nineveh. He tells him to go 550 miles inland to preach repentance to a city. He wanted to warn these people so that God's judgment and destruction wouldn't come upon them. And so he tells Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach repentance. Tell them to repent. Um, It's a 550-mile trip. And so Jonah, he knows the truth. He believes in God, but he simply looks at God and says, "Uh, I understand what you want me to do. No. Haven't we done that? Haven't we done that? So, So here's what Jonah does. Instead of saying, yeah, sure, God, I'll go to Nineveh, he gets in a boat, first mistake. Anytime you're running from God, getting in a boat is usually a bad idea. If you've read any of the New Testament, buddy, let me tell you, unless Jesus is in there with you, whoo, unless, yeah. So he gets on a boat, smart guy. And then he decides that he's going to go all the way to Tarshish, which is the end of the last organized, the, the longest organized trade route in the ancient world. He's going to go as far as he knows that you can go to Spain, to try to run away from God's call on his life. Because in the journey, sometimes, we find ourselves running in the opposite direction. See, Tarshish was about as far away as you could go. And I think that Jonah discovered something that was inevitable and that all of us discover when we're running. And it's this, that God is generous with his grace. And he is thorough with his discipline. And this is what we need to catch today. It's not to pay us back, but to bring us back. You see, we have a struggle when it comes to discipline, because what do we want God to be? We want God to be all grace, right? We want him to be all grace all the time. And God is so gracious with us. He lavishes his grace on us. And we're going to see that as we unpack this story. But here's the truth, church. Today, you've got to know this. God is all love. And because he is all love, he is generous with his grace, but he is thorough with his discipline. Not to pay us back, but to bring us back to him. You see, that's the truth that I want us to grasp today. In fact, you may be facing chaos of your own design right now in life. You may be facing chaos that you'd say, I really don't deserve this. And it very well could be because God loves you that he, just like he did for Jonah, he's allowed a storm to come into your life. And the storm isn't God trying to smite you. It's not God saying he doesn't love you. It's not God 
punishing you. It's simply God saying, I love you so much that I want to bring you back to me. It's not payback. Church, it's bring back. Somebody say, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. You're with me. I love it. It's good. So, so we're going to look at this whole account in the scriptures here. And Jonah, you know, we know the story. He was in the fish for three days and three nights. And when he escaped from the fish, when the fish vomited him out of its mouth, which I gave away the end of the story. So if you hadn't heard it before, sorry, spoiler. Uh, when, when he did this, when he came out of the fish, he actually wrote what we know as the Psalm of Jonah. It's a psalm that reflects the essence of his prayers when he was inside the fish. And so here's Here's the description, and eventually what this is, is really his moment of surrender. Because in this journey that we're all a part of now, God is going to call us to places in our life where we have to surrender. So ask yourself that question at this moment. What is God calling you to surrender? Now remember, he does this not, not to pay us back, but to bring us back. So let's look at the scripture together. Jonah Chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 17. If you've got your Bibles, you can open those. If you have an app, you can use that. I've got mine right here in case this turns off on me. So we're just going to let Steve Jobs and his technology help us kind of get through this Sunday. Uh, so we're going to start Jonah 1.17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now, check this out. In verse 2, this is my favorite part of the whole thing right here. And this, you've got to remember this happened <clears throat> 2,750 years ago. I see, some, I see a couple of people. Okay, if you're, if you're thumbing through your Bible right now trying to find Jonah, um, it's, it's actually not in the New Testament. If you get like at Matthew and you go back eight books, you'll find Jonah. And if your pages are stuck together, you're going to miss it because it's a tiny little book. But if you've got your Bible, you can go there. Um, In verse 2, this is what he says. Now, ages ago, 2,750 years ago, this took place. He states something that every human being has been saying ever since then. Now, listen to this. Okay, this is so powerful. Verse 2, he says this. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Now, isn't that true for all of us? That in the moment of our distress, that we turn to the Lord. We don't turn to the thing that got us in that situation, do we? We don't turn to that addiction and we call out to that thing. We don't turn, out, we don't, we don't turn to that infidelity and call out to that. We don't turn, out the, turn towards the anger that we just unleashed from our heart. We, we turn to the Lord in our distress. Just like Jonah did that day, we do that. And that's true for all of us. And so you never know when you're in that position. But you know what that looks like. For some of you, it might have been when you were staring at a pregnancy test. For some of you, it could have been that moment where you had to confess something to your wife before she found out. For some of you, you were going to have to look that person in the eye and tell them the truth about what actually happened. For some of you, you're going to have to own a failure that you never wanted to own. We've all been in that situation. No matter how careful you were, how slick you were, when you, when you were busted, when your back was against the wall, when you were in a place where you felt like you had nowhere else to turn, you called out to the Lord. See, look at this. This whole idea of brokenness, a lot of times it's what we call circumstantial brokenness. The things in our life that happen that cause us to hit rock bottom sometimes are the things that make us turn back to God. And I just want to tell you, When we come to the end of ourselves, it overpowers our intellect. It changes everything about who we are. It overpowers our theology. It overpowers our resistance of God sometimes. 
when we call to the Lord. And this is so cool. And then he repeats the idea. In verse 2, he says this. He says, out of the belly of Sheol, that word Sheol means the realm of the dead. He says, I cried and you heard my voice. Jonah was on the verge of dying. He was in the stomach of the fish. And this is what the scripture says. He called out to the Lord and he heard his voice. In Jonah 2, verse 2, it says, answered me. Now, another version of scripture says, from the deep, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. I want to tell you here today, I want you to catch this. God listens to the desperate cries of desperate people that call out to him in the midst of circumstances that they created themselves. When we make a mess and we call out to God, he will hear you. Now, there's an old adage that says God only helps who helps the people that help themselves. That's a lie from Satan. That's not in the Bible. That's like ranked up there with cleanliness is next to godliness, to thine own self be true, love the sinner, hate the sin. All that. None of that stuff is in the scripture. Some of those things are good things, but none of that's in the Bible. God listens to the desperate cry of his people. God listens to the desperate cries of desperate people who've created their own desperate circumstances. Isn't that a lot of grace? Isn't that the grace that we want to see come from God who's so rich in his grace towards us? You see, that's a constant everyday moment-by-moment invitation that regardless of how far we've run, how far we've strayed, whatever that looks like, it's so powerful to hear that God says his grace is that full and that rich. But one thing was clear to Jonah in this story, and I want us to get this today. He understood that in this particular situation, God was behind his distress, Right? In the story, he didn't blame the sailors. Now look at this. For, in Jonah 2, it says, For you, God, not the sailors, right? For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and your floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now, imagine this with me. So, so Jonah says to the sailors, hey, you guys got on the wrong boat, and we're going down. You might be going down with me. Really sorry about that. Uh, And so they didn't want to toss Jonah off the boat, but Jonah just tells them bluntly, this is because of me, and if you have any chance of living, you probably want to jettison this guy right here. And so they did. Now, my question for you would be this. When do you think Jonah actually repented? When do you think that happened? Was it day three, being in the fish and that blackness, stinkiness, just awfulness, thinking this is it, it's over, Pretty soon, I'm going to be digested, and I'm going to go out not the way I came in, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, Was it then? Was it day two? Was it the first day, maybe an hour or two after being swallowed by the fish? I personally don't think it was any of those things. I think it was when the guys on the boat had him, and they started going, and a one, and a two. And I mean, like, at that point, I bet Jonah said, you know what, God, I repent. I'm a new man. I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go to Narnia. I don't care. I will go wherever you send me, right? Because that's what discipline does for us sometimes. Now, see, he was learning a very, very difficult lesson that we're going to pick up on here. See, when I was a kid, my dad, he spanked my brother and me. Now, if you're upset by that and you, you want to send me an email about that, send it to I won't read it at this isn't a real email address.com, and we'll get to that. But my dad, he spanked us every once in a while when we were kids, and I'm glad that he did. And some of you feel the same way about your parents. He, he, we were never abused, but we were disciplined. It was just like a little pop with a belt. My dad had this wide belt. He'd fold it over. He never hit us with the belt buckle or anything crazy like that. But when we got out of line, we got a pop. It just is the way it happened. And like I said, some of us, you know, our parents did that, and we're glad that our parents did. And some of us wish that your parents had. Uh, but that's a story for another day. 
Wow, that one didn't land well. A lot of non-spankers in here. Ooh. Okay. All right. But he was teaching us a valuable lesson. My dad was teaching us the simple lesson that rebellion leads to pain. Rebellion leads to pain. Think about that for a second. The moments and times in your life where you rebelled against something you knew to be true, didn't it almost certainly lead to some form of pain? And so Jonah was living this out, and here's the deal. He was understanding that better and better. I mean, you know, when I was disobedient as a kid, I would see my dad pull his belt out, and I was a new man at that point. I was just like, Dad, I'm sorry. I won't do that anymore. I won't say that anymore. I'll, I'll eat all my food. I'll eat all his food. No problem. Just put the belt away, right? And you know what my dad did? He spanked me anyway uh, because he needed to teach me the lesson that rebellion leads to some form of pain. And Jonah was beginning to understand this better and better. You know, when I was a kid, this is funny, I'll tell you a story. Uh, when, when I was a kid, I was always trying to look for a way out when it came to punishment, when it came to any kind of discipline like that. One time, um, when I was little, maybe three or four years old, Mom, in church, um, and, oh, I was two, I'm sorry, she says I was two. I was just acting up, getting loud, carrying on, and we went into a church, it was more traditional, right, pews, and it had, like, carpet, and there was carpet on the pews, and the colors matched, and there was nothing you'd ever put in your house, but it was okay for God's house somehow, um, and it was that kind of church. And we were sitting up towards the front pews, and our pastor at the time, he liked to wear a robe and stole, and he was a great preacher, awesome guy. Um, he was preaching his sermon, and I was carrying on doing something, and my mom had just said, hey, you better stop this. And I didn't. You better stop this, or we're going to go out, and you're going to get disciplined. I didn't stop. So the third time, I was like, okay, here we go, buddy. She picks me up and starts walking down the center aisle, going towards those dreaded back doors, because around that corner was a bathroom, and in that bathroom, I knew what was going to happen. And so right about the last pew on the left on the way out of the church, my grandmother was sitting there. And in a desperate cry for help, like Jonah crying out to God, I yelled out, help me, Grandma, help me. (laughs) Everybody in the church just busted out laughing. The preacher on the stage couldn't help but laugh. And my grandmother's expression was priceless. What was even funnier was initially she reached out for me and she went, just kind of pulled back. Like, no, buddy, you've made your bed. you got to lie in it, right? So my point was this. As a kid, it's like, you know, Dad, just the side of your belt, I've learned. And even in the midst of that, I'd still have to go through discipline. And there are times in our life where we see discipline coming, and we're like, oh, God, I've learned my lesson. Please, please just don't make me go through this trial. And what happens? We end up going through a trial. But remember, God is generous with his grace but thorough with his discipline, not to pay you back, not to pay us back, but to bring us back to him. God's discipline's not to pay you back. It's to bring you back. And so really to ensure because of the memory of pain or perhaps because of the scars of sin or maybe the consequences of your running that you never ever run again because he loves you, God allows these things sometimes to enter our lives. And Jonah had rattle around inside the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Now listen to how he describes this. Jonah 2, verse 5 and 6. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head and the roots of the mountains. And I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. God's discipline is thorough. It is thorough. And see, this is a pattern throughout Scripture. When God disciplines in order to bring people back, he goes all out. Remember, the Israelites, 70 years of captivity. 
40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness. Remember David's sin? King David, it resulted in the death of, of a baby, of his sons, public humiliation and expulsion, but yet God never abandoned David. And Jesus actually came from his line. So then we look at the scripture. In verse 6 it says, Yet you, eventually, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now, don't miss this part. If you kind of tuned out, you were like, oh, the fish stuff in the beginning was funny, and I just kind of lost them. Then he talked about spanking, and I don't like the guy. If you did that, come on back. Come on back. I don't want you to miss this. This next verse describes the dilemma that every person who's running from God faces, okay? So catch this now. In Jonah 2, verse 8, it says this. It says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And this is huge. This is what he says. He says, when you run from God, it's because you're running to something. When you run from God, you're running to someone. You're running to an opportunity. You're running to a, a lifestyle. You're running to pleasure, running to entertainment, running to friends. And, and here's what Jonah says. He says, everyone who runs from God comes to the place when they finally get what they're running to. And when they get what they're running to, they realize it's not fulfilling. They realize that what they ran from was the thing that was truly fulfilling in their life, and it was the only thing that actually had any kind of meaning. See, runners no longer experience the love of God because runners have distanced themselves from God. Now, they can't distance themselves from God's love for them, but they've distanced themselves from the experience of God's love in their life. Remember this. In your despair, you don't cry out for the thing that you pursued when you turn your back on your Heavenly Father. You never do that. You cry out to the Lord. In our despair, we cry out to God. And those who run from God to something else, remember that's an idol. They run from the thing that they need most. You say, I think running would have brought me what only God could give me. We think, we run because we think in following God we're going to miss something good. And then, then when runners come home, they realize that the things that they didn't want to give up actually stood in the way of the relationship with God. And it's not until we're broken, it's not until we're busted, it's not until we hit that rock bottom point, it's not until we're caught or our backs are against the wall that we realize this. And there's this moment of clarity that we have. And Jonah had it too. It looks like this. Jonah chapter 2 verse 9, it says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now here, the word salvation actually means deliverance. He says deliverance, rescue, belongs to the Lord. And the Bible says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now let me ask you a question. What do you think Jonah did the second time? the word of the Lord came to him. I, I believe that he probably turned himself around and started heading towards Nineveh. I, I would have done the exact same thing. Because, you know, and the reason that he got another opportunity is because the God that we serve is the kind of God that gives second chances and third chances. Remember, he's rich in his grace, but he's thorough in his discipline, not to pay us back, but to bring us back. And so we're reminded how, how generous God truly is so Jonah 3, 2, and 3 says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it in the message that I will tell you. 
So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So here's the challenge today. And whoever's, whoever's playing music or anything, you guys can come up on the stage if you'd like to. I want to challenge you in this. Some of you have just been running. This portion of your journey has been one centered around the fact that there are things you know God is speaking to your heart and you've been running from that. So today I just want to create some space for you. I want to create a little space in the service for those of you who have been running, who have been resisting, for those of you that are really ready to surrender to God, to actually be able to do that today. I want to give you a chance to make it public and official that your running days are over, that you're coming back. And, so I, and we're going to have someone down here at the front that's going to pray with you and just believe and pray through that and believe that God is going to make a defining moment in your life today where you're making a change where you're making a true turning and you're saying, God, I'm giving my life, my heart completely back to you. Today's an opportunity for you. You know, you might say like with Jonah, the things I've run to are worthless idols. They're substitutes for the relationship that I need most. You might say, I don't want to waste another season of my life resisting the one who loves me most. You recognize that, that recent events might be really gifts from your gracious Father not to cause you pain, not to pay you back, but rather because he loves you and he's reaching out to bring you back. Some of you might be saying, you know, why this, why today? Like, why this message? Why was I even here? And this guy started preaching straight to me. Well, the reason for that is, again, because Jonah's story isn't just Jonah's story. It's my story. It's your story. And the Holy Spirit knew on this day that he wanted to speak to your heart. You might have showed up here because somebody said they're going to take you out to lunch after. Uh, you might have showed up here because, you know, it's Chapel Hill and you wanted to find somebody cute to ask out later today. I don't know. But God knew why you were here. And if you're tired of running, God says he has his arms open to you and is ready to welcome you back. Because you can run from God, but you can never outrun God. He loves you. And he's reaching out to you today. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the gift of your love. God, thank you for the gift of your grace that is so rich in our lives. God, thank you for the gift of your discipline that is thorough in our lives. And thank you for the fact that you do this not to pay us back, but to bring us back to you. And so I pray for those that may have been finding themselves running today, that they would just find themselves tired of running tired of chasing after things that, that don't matter, things that will never satisfy, and that today they would make a decision to say, I'm going to return to you, Jesus. I'm not going to allow these things to define my life anymore, but rather I'm going to give my life wholly and completely over to you. And so God, as you're dealing with hearts right now, if there's people in the house that simply just need to say, I'm going to make a, a big step today, instead of just resigning these things in my heart, saying, I'm going to try harder. Because, God, we know that you're not calling us to try harder. My prayer is that people would simply say, God, I surrender. I surrender to you. I'm not going to do it my way anymore. And as people resign to do that in their heart, I pray that they could boldly simply step out of their seats, come down to the front, and receive prayer. 
and just let someone love on them and pray with them and believe God together with them that today is a defining moment in their life where you're bringing them back completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen.